This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Good morning, Andrew Austin here, and welcome to my show, Austin On Air, right here on Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. It's good to be back with you after break. Um, my guest on the show today is Dr. Emery Ertuk, who is Principal Academic Staff Member at EIT School of Computing. Kia ora, Emery, and welcome to the show. Kia ora, Andrew. Great to be here. Yeah, good to see you again. I have interviewed you before for other publications, so it's good to have a chat to you again. Um, Emery, let, let me ask you first about your role at EIT, what you do and what you teach there. My role at EIT involves teaching information technology and doing research on information technology, as well as supervising postgraduate students in the IT section. I'm also a president of the Royal Society Hawke's Bay branch, and I'm editor for Citrons, which is a national organization. I'm a senior member of the Association for Computing Machinery, so... So I'm pretty busy. Yeah, so you've got a lot, a lot of involvement in the in the sort of computing field, and that I want to talk to you about uh, your research shortly and and your thoughts on research. But first, uh, tell us a bit about you, your academic career, and where you came from, and what you where you've studied, and that, and wh- how you ended up at EIT. Well, thank you. My um, my background uh, goes back to various countries that I've lived in, uh, which include Turkey, Belgium, Germany, USA, Canada. And I've been involved in different aspects of IT, so I've been a professional systems analyst before, um, doing the practical 9-to-5 side of IT. And within the last uh, 10 to 15 years, obviously, I've been in academia. And personally, I'm a chess expert. Oh, wow. I like to listen to classical music. I like watching Japanese anime. Okay. <laughs> and I, I also like European comics as well. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's so much I could say, um, for example, in terms of my, my, uh, my background. Um, just a few um, facts. Um, I won the CEO's Research Award in 2017. Okay. Um, I'm also a member of, the international, um, of an international journal based in Canada. So... My research involvement um, and involvement within IT is really broad, uh, ranging from professional, hands-on, to research and teaching. And my teaching is obviously a combination of hybrids, so it's just online and face-to-face. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. If, if people want to, of course, know more about me, they can Google me. Yeah. Uh, and the last time I checked, there's thousands of results. So okay. I'm, I'm, um, I'm definitely... Uh, well placed in Google. Oh, that's good. Because um, uh, I think research at EIT often doesn't get uh, the sort of uh, focus that it should. And, and um, as I know, there's there's a lot of uh, researchers and pretty good researchers there. Um, just uh, um, tell us a bit about your research philosophy and um, and uh, the, how you approach research at EIT. Yeah, thank you for giving me a chance to represent all the good researchers at EIT because there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and and this gives us a chance to actually make the public more aware of yeah. uh, what what we're doing. 
Um, so my research is around the internet and cloud space and the digital society space. Yeah. Um, and it's been that way for, for quite a long time. And that ranges from, again, going back to the digital divide. Yeah. Which and we'll talk about. Yeah. We'll and all, up, all yeah. the way to sort of more um, sort of advanced things like s different aspects of smart cities. Um, and, and also things that um, are important for our teaching. So um, one of my thoughts is that you have to be an expert in what you teach. So if I'm teaching cloud to my students, cloud computing to my students, then I should be the expert in cloud computing. And my research is in cloud computing. So um, my research supports my teaching. Yeah. And, and I think that's of course, resonates with other people who are doing research at EIT as well. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, I mean, I mean, at the postgraduate le level, uh, an important tenant of what they're doing is research, these students. So um, what do you think, what, what do you make of the caliber of students that are coming through and that you've dealt with over the last few years and the research projects that they are doing? The caliber is, is good. Yeah. And it's diverse because they're international. Yeah. Um, and, and also within New Zealand, uh, we have a chance to explore diverse topics with, with our Maori and Pacifica yeah. students as well. Um, and that's, of course, the, the direction that we're going toward as well. Um, what am I... Um, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the, 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 the recent few years because yeah. a, a lot is changing. The world is changing in the last few years. Yeah. Um, and although the caliber is strong, I do have some thoughts about how research is going to change post-COVID oh, yeah. and how research leadership needs to be in a post-COVID world. How do you think it's going to change? Now, I think we have to sort of deconstruct some of what we, what we do in the research world Yeah. because, as, as you may expect, um, we have this image of writing a lot Yeah. Uh, and it's very scholarly and it's very formal. And I think especially with the Maori and Pacifica learners that I've had in recent years... I think we have to go through some process of decolonizing and deconstructing it and allow more diverse forms of expression, um, especially for the, the researchers that we mentor, so people who are in their first five years yeah. of research. Um, it's an unfriendly environment if we expect them to write papers a minimum of a certain length and they have to be in a certain format. I think we have to allow... Um, as, and as an editor and conference organizer, and that's my thoughts as well, mm. um, we have to allow more video presentations. We have to allow more um, sort of bullet, quick presentations, maybe drawings uh, rather than pure writings, yeah. figures, charts. Um, so, um, yeah, I think um, we also have to change our views about the formalities of research, about peer review, for example, being a blind peer review. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's necessarily suitable within an indigenous context. So I, I think instead of a blind peer review where people vote on each other, why don't we have a more uh, forum, colloquial forum? Yeah. And, yeah. So it's like rangaho Māori is the, the term used for sort of Māori research, if you like. Yeah. So, so it's um, sort of getting into touch with, in touch with that more, you think? And it's especially useful for our postgraduate students and, and research in any field. So I, I think for um, new IT researchers in the postgraduate phase that I would be um, dealing with or supervising or, or mentoring, 
maybe in the future we should think about micro-research yeah. um, rather than um, trying to make them do one big report. Yeah. Let them do small pieces and explore different ideas, something that they're really interested in and enjoy, yeah. Yeah. and then they can, over time, filter what interests them more. Yeah. Now, one of the big projects you've been involved in recently, and you, you just uh, touched on it briefly earlier, um, you've been working with Internet New Zealand looking at the digital divide and digital inclusion. Um, so what is the digital divide? Well, it's a discrepancy between, and this is a, a scale, Yeah of different people in society using technology at a different level or at a different um, amount. Yeah. Um, so it does involve different um, aspects such as literacy or um, socioeconomic background, but some people um, find themselves at a disadvantage. And again, especially in the last few years, because of reliance on online e-government, e-business, um, relying on the web to find information or to do things. Um, so some people are, are at a disadvantage and some people are obviously thriving. Yeah. And the divide is the difference between those two groups. Um, the more positive um, word we've, we've started to use is inclusion. Yeah. So, um, so inclusion versus exclusion. We want to include. Yeah. We want to include as many students as we can. We want to include as many different groups of society as, as we can. Yeah. And then this would help them form relationships online, um, do business online, take care of their basic needs online. Um, so there's still people who, who I, I think need to be yeah. um, looked after. So for f small businesses, this is actually quite vital. And what you're saying, it could be a business owner who's just not internet savvy or computer savvy, mm -hmm. or it could be the fact that he's in an area where the internet connection or Wi-Fi isn't good, or it could be that he's struggling financially to even buy a computer or something like that. So it's multiple factors? Uh, yes, yes. Um, and, and one thing I would also add is that IT and digital inclusion is very important for Hawkspace's future, especially because we're not Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah. Um, what I've learned from chess over the years is that when you're playing a whole game, you look at where your where your weaknesses are and you strengthen those weaknesses. So, I think Hawks Bay can keep on improving in terms of information technology and digital inclusion in general. Um, if you want to win the game, you've got to look at different options. Yeah. Hawks Bay is strong in agriculture, which is great. But then we look at the whole picture. IT, IT is something we can do better at. Yeah. Um, so why is the gap getting bigger? Um, is it getting bigger and why is it getting bigger? For some people, it, it may be getting bigger as, as um, platforms, social platforms, government platforms, business platforms shift online. Yeah. Uh, for people who are not keeping up or who are not interested in keeping up, or, or for some reason they don't have the skills to keep up, um, that could be getting bigger. Yeah. And now, where did you conduct your research and what was your sample group? To, uh... um, well, I think we involved so many different stakeholders, not just businesses, but also um, individual citizens. Um, and we reached people from starting with the IT onwards. Uh, we've involved Napier City Council, thanks to Napier City Council for um, supporting this research and also networking us with the other groups within yeah. the 
within the um, Napier area in, okay. in particular, okay. and other groups. And again, thanks to them for hooking up, us up with people in the Hawke's Bay area. So we're, um, we don't want to limit our sample to, to just one group, but we're, we're flex, I've been flexible in terms of how is it for students, how is it for elderly, how is it for businesses or you know, small organizations. So, Yeah. And um, now, how do you re- remedy these problems to ensure that individuals or small business who all have been affected by COVID, COVID's made things worse. I mean, isolated people, um, uh, made people see a drop in business or whatever, or interaction. Uh, how do you um, ensure that all these people have the best opportunity to succeed uh, using technology? IT education is essential, and that's where EIT can play a leading role. Um, one thing I'll say, um, if William Colenso were alive today, he would have studied IT. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah um, I'm f- actually familiar with Colenso because of the connection to Royal Society, as yes. you see him being a founder of the Royal Society Hawke's yes. Bay branch in the 19th century. Uh, one of the reasons he would have studied IT is he was a polymath, so he studied and was involved in many different fields and, yeah. and topics. But IT is a facilitator of different types of work. Yeah. Um, so it would have supported him as a linguist. It would have supported him as an explorer. It would have supported him as a traveler. It would have supported him in so, so many different ways. Um, so um, I think, obviously, one of the solutions is through IT and upskilling people and not just relying on, although EIT and government do have a role to play, and not just necessarily relying on those two entities, but also... Um, Looking to see if there are organic connections within the within the community, so people can teach each other at yeah. some stage. So, um, the bigger uh, players can te- train the t- trainers, and then those people can then pass the knowledge onto other people. So, our students, um, young and enthusiastic, they can pass their skills on to their older family members, for example. Yeah. Um, so there, there, are way, there, there are different ways to, I think, remedy the situation. I know in my family, if I need something done with my computer, I go to my 14-year-old daughter and ask her to, <laughs> to help me with it, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure she um, she watches a lot of YouTube. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's an, I, guess, I guess, another thing that's the world is changing and, yeah. and the way people find information and find answers is, is different. Um, just for just basic mention here, I've got a YouTube video that's got 16,000 views, yeah. for example, on systems analysis and that's I think maybe that could have been a that could that's the way research outputs need to be in the future not just written papers in a peer reviewed so journal. for a bro- for a broader audience as I, well I you think, think you've got to I, I think I, I think in my research philosophy you've got to have a strong online pre- presence if people google you they have to be able to find you yeah. if they want to find you on LinkedIn YouTube they've got to be able to find you um, so that's how researchers should be in the post-COVID world. Yeah. Now, obviously, an important aspect of technology and computers and that is Wi-Fi and access to the Internet. Do you think that in a first-world country like New Zealand, um, even if we do have some pretty unique topography, um, we should have large areas that have poor or no service? Uh, yeah, hypothetically, we should. And that's one part of the equations, obviously, mm. um, can more be done to make sure that we we covered completely from top to bottom? I, I think more can be done. Um, 
again, it's uh, there are economics involved. Yeah. And that, that's why I like this field of research, because it's more interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary. Yeah. And I've studied economics back in, the, in the past as well and, and business. So I can appreciate the economic and business challenges that are there, the challenges of cost and benefit. Um, but I think it would be to the benefit of this region to upskill or upscale our internet connections also in rural areas yeah. because agriculture is our strength. Yeah. So we, we can better in, use IT to support agriculture. Yeah, because, I mean, farming's changed. I mean, in, in 20, 30 years ago, they didn't all have computers and able to analyze the outputs and things like that. So there, there is a definite area of, of growth there, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You are also moving further on the subject into, as you mentioned, smart cities and uh, digital citizenship. What is digital citizenship? I think this digital citizenship is is one of those concepts that is following on from divide, inclusion, and then you've got citizenship. As we are all citizens of New Zealand, um, a part of that identity is online. Yeah. So much of our life goes on or happens online. So as a citizen, you know, I do my e-government online, I do my taxes online. Um, so in terms of, so what I want to look at is, you know, we want to improve that. So we want to make sure that people participate better or more effectively as citizens. Yeah. And that's, that's going to have to happen because of, again, the the um, the changing world with post COVID and lockdowns, uh, are the aspect of our citizenship that resides online, yeah, is going to play a bigger role. Now you know that that is the one thing that people always mention when you talk about the cloud and you talk about having your information online. The first thing you hear from people is, "Oh, but how safe is it? You know, what if someone gets into my hacks into my private information?" Um, is the cloud and the internet in general secure? Well, never 100%, and it cannot be 100% yeah. secure. There's no technology that's 100% secure. Cars are not 100% secure. Yeah. Um, TVs probably aren't 100% secure. Yeah. I mean, just imagine what you could do with them. Um, so I, I think what's, ha- what's happened in the last 10 years is that we've made them safer and more secure. Yeah. So it is improving. Um, so you don't have a problem uploading things to the cloud and uh, having sort of fairly sensitive documents up there? Um, yes, uh, I, I don't because I change my password frequently. I have a very strong password that takes ages to type. Um, <laughs> I, I try not to save And you don't it. write it down somewhere. <laughs> no, I don't write it down somewhere. I, I, I try not to save them yeah. um, or pre-fill. Um, so I think if you're cautious... They can be quite safe, yeah. and I always have a backup that's in a USB stick as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, a, it's actually about those types of digital citizenship and literacy that a lot of people already know how to use email, and they already know how to browse the web. But those things like how do I manage my data, for example, yeah. um, I think those are um, where we can make slight improvements, and then people can feel more uh, motivated and, and and safe to participate online. Yeah, very interesting chatting to you, Emery. Really is, um, and some of these concepts are, 
you know, you think you should know them, but um, it's quite um, interesting to hear an expert uh, speak about them. Now, just the other concept I mentioned, the uh, smart city. What is a smart city? I think I know what it is, but you tell me. Uh, a smart city is really networked. And yeah. and when we look at a city, um, it's a bit, you've got to be, have a bit of sci-fi imagination here and think of all the devices and sensors and automated um, gadgets that are there and and then imagine them in your head as being sort of internetworked and communicating to each other. So it's closely related to the Internet of Things concept where um, it's not just computers and, and mobile phones that communicate, but there's a bit more than that. And and part of the smart city is is the is the human involvement within that smart city and um, how how well we are involved and how, how much we participate in that city. So smart city is important because it's important in, in terms of supporting businesses and supporting government. So if there's more data available to government or businesses that they can work with to leverage their business or to leverage public services, then that's a good thing. Yeah. So, so it doesn't have to be uh, an Auckland or a New York. Uh, a smart city doesn't have to be uh, a metropolitan or industrially advanced. It can be here in Hawke's Bay. Or yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. there is qualified and enthusiastic people in every small city that would be um, interested in doing it where they, yeah. where they live. Um, yeah, it could be. Um, I, I think we've come to the... The, yes, it does require some sort of um, skill set and, and, and investment, but we cannot wait. We cannot just hold up. Um, so Napier shouldn't and Hastings should not just, just wait. We should get as smart as possible. Yeah. Now, once again, that issue of people say, oh, this is Big Brother watching you. And, I mean, you can walk down the street in CBD and there are five different uh, CCTV cameras looking at you and it's all connected. Um it, is that just this is an inevitable part of life and the whole contact tracing and stuff like that with with COVID? Uh, is this just the way things are going and should we be rather embracing it rather than fearing it? Um, we should be thinking about it and that's where, where research can come in. Yeah, That's exactly uh, fresh um, material for research, all these concerns. Yeah. Um, so the things that work, fine. Um, we, need, we do need to be able to understand and be able to utilize them but where the um, issues are is actually where we can focus yeah. and improve yeah. and again um, yeah that, that's uh, that's again that interests me in the, in the long term because again I guess one of the one of my roles at EIT is being chair of the ethics research ethics okay um, so that would interest me in very much to look at those social or ethical issues and the concerns that people have yeah now it education i know um it's important to you and that and uh do you think we should be starting with it um even younger at school yeah that 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 is that is true and um and it education has become more friendly than computer science in general has become more friendly than it used to be and and there's no harm in keeping it simple and fun yeah, and then get start people people at any age. If it if it's simple and fun, if it's easy to follow, it, it doesn't only attract younger people, but it actually potentially attracts older people as well. 
Um, and one of the things that I've learned from chess and, and some of the chess champions that I've admired is that although chess looks complicated, the way some of these people were playing, they were actually very clear. Yeah. And you could almost sort of identify with them. Now, there was a lot of thought put into it. It was actually very refined. Yeah. Um, it did require a lot of experience to, to come to that stage. But it could be presented to, to a new learner. Yeah. And that new learner could more or less see what's going on in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so IT education can become more friendly and simpler, not both for the younger group and for the older group. Because nowadays you get 80-year-olds with iPads and things like that. Yeah, and so. a lot of them are doing online tutorials, and yeah. they could be doing community computing with the IT at yeah. um, below level five. Yeah, yeah. So, look, five years ago, or even less than that, I didn't use Teams, I didn't use Zoom and that. What's the future? I mean, is it what we're going to be doing? Uh, is, it, is there no end to what we can do technology and we, we're just about running out of time so yeah uh, much of what happens is a gradual improvement of what's there so yeah. Teams is an improvement on the previous yeah. pieces of software and Windows 11 is an improvement on previous pieces of software so there will be always gradual improvement and addressing of minor issues and every now and then with um, like something like COVID there might be a disruption that accelerates that, that yeah. process and I think virtual reality is, is one thing that'll make a comeback. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I've seen, especially with my Maori and Pacifica learners, is their great interest in virtual reality. Yeah. And, and, that, and I've got an interest in virtual reality. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that virtual space will, and metaverse, for example, you might have yeah. heard of metaverse. Yeah. Um, so those will probably pick up again in the future. So do we have to worry about robots taking over all our jobs? Um, probably some jobs, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully we just will adapt and uh, there'll be new jobs for us to take on, controlling the robots or whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, 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 thank you for this fun interview. Yeah. yeah, no, it's good. Thank you so much, Dr. Emery Urtuk from ERT. Um, do appreciate you coming in and all the best for the future. And to you, the listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.